0: Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates a simple truth of church growth, where God guides, He provides. I
1: get mails all the time for fundraisers. They call us up, and we've talked to them and said, Well, no, we we don't have fundraisers. You don't? No. You don't need money? Nope. Wow, that's different. You're a church? Yep. We believe if God raised the church up, and He's still the head of the church, then where He guides, He provides. He just wants us to follow
0: His lead. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What makes a church successful? How do you turn an average church into a megachurch? But is the size of the church the best indicator of a church on fire for the Lord? Or could it be that large numbers are just a smokescreen for the convention of men? Well, this pastor, Xavier, presents a simple truth study titled, How God Leads in Ministry, he'll point out four simple signs to look for that God is in fact leading the work. The ministry of Paul at Corinth
1: provides for us four ways in which you can know that God is leading in ministry. First, God brings the necessary people together. He brings the necessary people together. Secondly, four through eight, God provides a place to meet. God provides a place to meet. In verse 4 through 6, God provided the synagogue to minister to the Jews and the proselytes. Paul was faithful to the open doors consistently the Sabbath day. Um, the Sabbath to the synagogue, he was. Uh, the process of his commitment was twofold. Notice there in verse 4. First, he reasoned with those of the synagogue, which means he disputed, he pondered different things in his mind to discourse with them. Regarding the scriptures, we get our word dialogue from it. It's found ten times in Acts. And then secondly, he persuaded those of the synagogue, which means to induce one by words to believe. And it's found 17 times in the book of Acts, and many times they're together. And he was dialoguing to induce them to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and Savior of their lives. Notice the people were comprised of Jew and Greeks, the Hebrew of Hebrews, Jews. The Greek Hellenists who were raised in Greek culture. And then the proselytes that came in. And look at verse 5. Paul testified firmly to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. The timeline is important here in verse 5. This is when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. They communicated to Paul, as you remember, the good news about Thessalonica. That in spite of the persecution, the church was okay. They loved them. They couldn't wait to see him again. And they were okay. So Paul was relieved. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, 6. And they also probably brought the second gift from Philippi, the financial gift. The Philippians gave two gifts to Paul, Philippians 4:14 4, through 15 and 2 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9. And probably it's at this time that Paul wasn't, now was compelled by the Spirit, not having to work for a time, that he committed himself completely to the preaching of the gospel fervently here. Notice the word compelled there. It means to compress or to hold together with constraint. The word is used to force a ship into a narrow channel. Paul was constrained by the Holy Spirit to devote himself here completely to the preaching and testifying of Jesus as the Messiah. Look at verse 6. Paul then released himself of the personal responsibility and he went to the Gentiles. What happened here? They came to a critical point in time when they opposed him and blasphemed. This, we see this in pattern as Paul goes to the synagogues. The apostle responded in, to their rejection of the gospel. He shook off his garment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own head. I am clean. He's using figurative body language of the Old Testament prophets and New Testament expression that Jesus gave as a rejection of the gospel. Therefore, a rejection of the one who rejects the gospel. He quotes the prophet Ezekiel, the watchman, if you remember, who was to be a faithful watchman to proclaim of the attack, the warning. And those who did not pay heed, the blood was upon their own head. If he did not warn, then God would hold him responsible for the blood of those individuals. Paul is saying, I am innocent in the blood. I have proclaimed to you the gospel. Ezekiel three seventeen and 33, 1 through 7. Jesus also gave his disciples. He says, go into the city, go into a house. Don't go from house to house. And if they receive you, fine. If not, shake the dust off your feet. Matthew ten fourteen fifteen, 15, Mark six eleven. That means once they reject you, you reject them. You don't cast your pearls before the swine. Notice the apostle then departed from them. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. We see this continuously, and he ultimately finishes in the book of Acts as rejecting the Jew ultimately and only going to the Gentile. This was Paul's customary pattern to those whose hearts were hard against the gospel. Now notice verse 7 and 8. God provided the house of justice for the church to meet and to grow them. The break from the synagogue was clear as Paul departed and entered the house of justice. The character of justice was marked by the phrase, one who worshiped God. So apparently he believed the gospel and he went with Paul. The location of the house of justice was right next door to the synagogue. Isn't that great? (laughs) Being open and available to individual Jews. And the result was transformed lives. Look at verse 8. The ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, believed in the Lord and all his household. Many Corinthians you're hearing believed and were baptized. God was faithful to it. You know, when God saved my brother and myself, we began Bible studies in our Kung Fu studios. And many came to the Lord. Now, God from the beginning has been favored to provide a place for us as Calvary Chapel. Though at times it was at the very last minute, but God was right on time. God took us to the YMCA on Main Street, June of 80. And yet, when we inquired about them renting the YMCA to us, they said they never had done that on Sunday. But we said, you can make application. We did, and God opened it up. We got in. God provided the women's club for our midweek studies. Then God provided the Masonic Lodge, a seven-day Adventist church for the next five years. Then we got kicked out of the seven-day Adventist church because uh, we had the um, undercover, a punk rock group, and they kicked us out. And so I started the introduction to Colossians on the midweek by faith. We looked everywhere for a midweek study. We found nothing, without exaggeration. Uh, Over hundreds of calls and everything. And I started by faith. And that Thursday, there was a pastor sitting there from a church. And we went right over there. He opened it up to us. Right on time. Coincidence? No, I don't think so. Then God provided us with a cockroach-infested theater in Atlantic and Maine. (laughs) From 85 to 86 on Sunday morning. And this is where the sifting came. From 500 to 300. 300. I used to preach in the front with a platform and when it rained, it was flooded and the wires were all over the place. There was only one light bulb. Thank God we didn't see all the cockroaches. (laughs) And God provided this building in Pasadena through the 300. Everything necessary. The down payment. The loan locked and secure at a time when they weren't doing that. Fixed rate. We were able to pay the church off, but yet God provided pennies at a time, plus and under, through the years. We've never been a wealthy ministry, but we've been a very well-taken-care-of ministry by God. Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three through 34 But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. sufficient for the day has its own trouble." We do ministry one day at a time. That's all we do. That's all we can handle. And God has always been faithful. There's been some scary times, but we we look to the Lord. He's not biting us nails, so He doesn't want us to bite our nails. He just wants us to follow His lead. There has never been any plea for money, pledges for money, fundraisers. I get mails all the time for fundraisers. They call us up, and we've talked to them and said, we, we, we we don't have fundraisers. You don't? No. You don't need money? Nope. Wow, that's different. You're a church? Yep. We believe if God raised the church up, and He's still the head of the church, and where He guides, He provides. We just want to see what God does. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. According to His riches and glory. It's up to Him. We are supposed to live within the budget that God has given us. Not beyond it. This is the problem that ministers get into in churches. We're to live within the budget that God provides. God always provides a place to meet them. As we see here. Notice thirdly in verse 9 through 11, God encourages his servants, another mark, to know that God's in the ministry. 9 and 10, the Lord spoke very specific to Paul about his ministry. The proclamation was straightened to the point. Listen, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night vision. And Paul had been born again, as you know, in the Damascus Road in Acts 9. And Paul knew that he had been directed to Philippi by the vision of the man of Macedonia. So it's not the first time a vision comes in chapter 16 that we find that. And then Paul mentions other times when Jesus appeared to him, Acts 22, 17, and 18, when he first went from Damascus to Jerusalem. And the Lord said, flee Jerusalem because they won't receive your testimony of me. And they sent him on R&R to Tarsus for about six, seven years. And then also 27, 23 is another area where he speaks as Jesus spoke to him. Now notice, the apostle was to stop being afraid. That's what he tells him. What does it mean? The implication was that Paul was afraid. Literally, stop being afraid. The durative, present, imperative. We're not told why he was afraid. But, knowing Corinth, my opinion is that he was afraid of the evil. It was so corrupt. It had nothing to do with failing in Athens, like commentators say. (laughs) The apostle, notice, was not to be afraid. Rather... To go on speaking the gospel. To proclaim the good news. Literally, keep on speaking the durative present imperative again. In other words, he was doing that. He's encouraging him. Just like your child, he's there trying to hit the ball with a bat, trying to throw some baskets, and he's missing his game. You can see his face being discouraged. Come on, you can do it. You're doing good. Come on. And you encourage him. It's not that he's not shooting, it's that you're encouraging him to keep on doing what he's doing, right? Because often in our obedience, we don't see things happen, and we think that it's not working. Keep doing it. God's on the throne. You obey. Don't worry about the outcome. He'll take care of the outcome if you obey. Total dependency on him. That's what he's saying. Notice the apostle was not to be silent also. The city was the Las Vegas of the day. Being a commerce center, two ports, you can imagine the sin, the debauchery, the corruption, the number of people, the excitement, the attraction for sin nature. The Acropolis with the temple of Aphrodite has had over a thousand priests, as you know. They are notoriously known. Every sailor was there paying a visit. The term Corinthian was synonymous with debauchery. Every time a Corinthian was presented and portrayed on the theater, they were drunk or lewd. Notice the proclamation was followed by the promise regarding three things. The Lord would strengthen Paul, for I am with you. This is emphatic. This is good to hear when you're serving. But you've got to hear from the Lord. The Lord would protect Paul, and no one will attack you to hurt you. The idea is that they would not succeed, not that there wouldn't be attacks. Listen, there'll be many things that happen in your life, but God says, I'll get you through. Promise. And the Lord would use Paul, for I have many people in this city. Notice verse 11. The apostle Paul fulfilled his ministry as directed by the Lord. The duration of Paul's ministry stay at Corinth was a year and a half. Once again, Paul was not in charge. Jesus was. Once again, Paul acted as a servant, not the master. And notice the daily ministry involved the teaching of the word among the Corinthians. This is the focus. The word of God is the only thing that will bring about repentance from sin in the life of any person. The word of God is the only thing that will bring about growth, development, and maturity to the stature of Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you pull back on the word, it deals to the power of sin. That's why the secular media, that's why the liberals come against the Christian church who teaches the word. because it's the Word of God that keeps hindering sin. In fact, when the church is removed, that's the hindering power against the Antichrist' appearance. Once the church is removed, everything is dark. We are the brakes to sin. We say abortion is wrong. We say adultery is wrong. We say certain things are wrong. And they don't like us. You pull back on the word, you're dead. Your sin nature will chew you up and spit you out and won't even say thank you. The word of God does not depend on the society or environment. It transcends it by transforming people to rise up out of the muck and the mire. It turns beauty out of ashes. You understand? A.W. Tozer. I love that man. Never met him. Can't wait to meet him. Listen. Listen what he says. We who preach the gospel must not think of ourselves as public relation agents sent to establish goodwill between Christians and the world. We must not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Christ acceptable to big business, the press, the world of sports, or modern education. We are not diplomats, but prophets. And our message is not a compromise, but an ultimatum. Right on, biblically. This is a direct charge against seeker-friendly churches and the emerging church. They think they're, they're called to be diplomats for the world. Listen, Jesus wasn't called to do that. They hated Jesus. They like you, something's wrong. God has always promised to all: if they will teach God's word, He will see to all other things in ministry. People will repent if you teach God's word. People will be saved. People will grow to full maturity. First Timothy three sixteen and seventeen says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished with every good work. It's the word of God. Nothing else. God always encourages his servants. That's how you know God's in the ministry. Now, Notice fourthly. Not only God always encourages his servants, but God confirms his word. 12 through 17. In 12, the Jews accused Paul before Galileo. They personally brought Paul before the judgment seat. Uh, the time was during Galileo, being pro-council of Achaia. They accused Paul of breaking the law of Moses. Now, there's an argument whether they're talking about the Roman law or law of Moses. But he was persuading men to worship, it says, God through Jesus Christ. And the Jews saw this as religio illicita. In contrast to the Jewish faith, which was religio licita. Legal religion, illicit religion. Illegal religion. And you've got to look at the Jewish perspective. Paul was preaching Christ, and they saw the preaching of Christ... As something different from Judaism, so they're going before the magistrates declaring that it's an illegal religion he's teaching. But Galileo understands it as being part of Judaism, and he gives us the commentary so we don't have to argue what's going on in the text. The procurator here disappointed the Jews in 14 through16. He didn't confront Paul, but the Jews. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, so Paul says, and that's it, stop them. Notice in verse 14, he clearly states that there was no civil or criminal evidence or he would have heard them. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, and O Jews is derogatory, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. And he told them in verse 15 to deal with it on their own religious ways and matters. But if it is a question of the words and names of your own law, look to it yourself, for I do not want to be a judge in such matters. He clearly saw this. He was actually giving an approval to Christianity as a legal religion at this point. Without realizing it. Which is good, because remember, Paul already had been tracked by the Judaizers. Of all the trouble he was creating As people were being saved And so in verse 16 He drove them out from the judgment seat And so the result here in verse 17 Is the Lord avenges his anointed The one he has promised he's going to protect Don't miss this Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes The ruler of the synagogue And beat him before the judgment seat It is believed that he is the same one Who later accepts the Lord In 1 Corinthians 1.1 Paul mentions him And then Galileo Ignored the Jews completely The procurator took no note of these things. The beating probably was due to his insistence. And he just kind of just turned his back and ignored the whole thing. Get him a good beating. You remember Jeremiah and his ministry? Listen when God called him. Jeremiah 1 seventeen through 19. Therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces. Don't get freaked out. Don't fear them. Lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a brazen wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes, against the priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Now you know Jeremiah was treated badly, was in jeopardy of life often, but... God got him through, didn't he? According to his promise. Doesn't mean that things aren't going to happen. He says, I will get you through. Do you believe that of the Lord of your life? God has from the beginning confirmed my call to ministry. First, by the gift of teaching. He has been faithful to develop the teaching ministry. He has blessed the teaching ministry on the radio. He has blessed... And constantly open door for the Spanish ministry throughout the years. All the New Testament, series, different things. God has confirmed His word to me by His provisions financially. That's another way that He confirms always that He's in it. To purchase the building. To be debt free. And we're not a wealthy ministry. To increase the staff from one person to ten people. The medical outreaches, mission trips. The radio ministry. Everything comes from the general ministry. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more of his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah says, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm getting in trouble every time I talk for you, Yahweh. I'm not talking no more. He says, the word just burned in his heart. It always comes back to the word. Maybe he's called you. The older I get, the longer I serve you, the greater passion I have for the Word of God to teach you the Word of God. You understand? What, what am I going to give you if I don't give you the Word of God? I'm really kind of a dull person. I'm not that excitable. What can be said then in this ministry? Only one thing, is Paul says in Romans. Romans 11, 33-36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him? And it shall be repaid to Him. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. It's what it's all about. Him, Him, and Him. God always confirms His word. But for that, time has to pass. And time is the test of all things. Time will reveal to you what that ministry is made of. And time will reveal what you're made of. Paul's ministry at Corinth has provided us here now with four ways for a person to know that God is leading in ministry. Real simple. God always brings the necessary people together. God always provides a place to meet, whether it's buying or rental. He always provides right on time. God always encourages His servants regardless of the difficulty or the comfort. And God always confirms His word. It's the thing that He honors above His name, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't honor me. He honors His word above his name. And so may God continue to direct and guide us, and may we continue to obey and follow his word. And he'll continue doing what he wants to do.
0: Bless his church. Pastor Xavier Reese, using the example of the Apostle Paul and the church at Corinth to point out four simple truths that God is in the work. And with just a few moments left, we're delighted to let you know copies of today's study titled How God Leads in Ministry are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is How God Leads in Ministry. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, And tell a friend to join us for more Simple Truths from Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com